With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast with myself and Roy Snell, the CEO of the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics. In this podcast, Roy and I take a wide-ranging look at the history of the Compliance and Ethics Institute, how it has grown to become one of the top compliance conferences annually. He talks about this year's conference in Las Vegas, some of the keynote speakers and other highlights, but he particularly focuses on the non-learning tracks and what you can do at the conference to really further yourself in the compliance space, if you're a vendor, your compliance service or your product, and generally utilize the conference as a mechanism to not only jumpstart your compliance practice or your service offering, but also drive it forward to 2018. It's a fascinating discussion, something I've wanted to do with Roy for quite some time, and I hope you will enjoy it. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Unfair and Unbalanced. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox again, and I am pleased to have back my good friend and colleague, Roy Snell, the CEO of the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, and we're here to talk about the upcoming 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute, which will be held October 15 to 18 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Roy, welcome back. Good to be here, Tom. I love talking to you, man. So, Roy, I thought we might take this opportunity to really uh, get some of your reflections on the uh, CEI, Compliance and Ethics Institute, uh, what, uh, how you've seen it grown, what uh, you've seen work, what people have really, uh, members rather, have really responded to. Um, I've been going, I think this will be my, uh, I think I started in 2010, so uh, I'm not quite sure what number that will be for me, but um it's it's grown, and I think this year it will be even larger than last year, which was our largest event. So uh, I just really wanted to explore uh, it with you, talk about it with you, and really uh, hope members or others who hear this podcast will be intrigued enough to uh, to sign up and come join us. So uh, with that, why don't you tell us how the uh, CEI started? Well, um, actually, that's a, a story not a lot of people know. Um, before we started SCCE, we did, I believe, for two years in a row, a thing uh, uh, in Redmond, Washington, um, which was kind of uh, had a little different title, something about corporate social responsibility, which was an odd decision now that we look back. Um, and uh, after we started SECE, we changed uh, it to the Compliance and Ethics Institute. Um, it was interesting in the early days, it was pretty hard to find uh, the expertise. It took a couple of years for us to build a network of of the right folks and as some people have heard me yammer on about 
we don't pick people based on how much money they have or how big their title is or how big their organization is. We pick them on what they know. And, and frankly, to be perfectly honest, that's a, it's a little harder because it's easy to find big names. It's harder to find people that know something intimately um, and can teach it well. Einstein, I believe, said, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. Well, those are the people we look for. And so that was one of the challenges in the first few years. It happened to us in Europe, too, when we started that about five years ago. And we now have a good base of people uh, to uh, pick from who we know or uh, know certain subject matter. And then every year we experiment with about 30 to 40% of the speakers are folks who hadn't spoken in the recent past for us. And but we constantly get new ideas and these sort of things. But the, the early days uh, were pretty harrowing. You know, they're small uh, conference, a uh, lot of extra work because of our lack of uh, experience at the time. It's, Fast forward today, it's just great to have such a huge uh, group of people to uh, seek out and ask for their help in teaching uh, at this conference. And and then because of the attendance, it's gone up to, uh, I think last year we had 1,800. We, we get a half a dozen or more tracks, and that allows us to have more topics and uh give more people more opportunities. And uh, so I think this year we're about 90 ahead of last year. So we'll, we'll, we'll probably be bigger unless something strange happens. And uh, that's kind of one of the other things I focus on a lot is I, I just always want to see growth so that we have the ability to have more tracks, more speakers, more topics, more resources to help people with and, and uh, so a lot of work in the six months beforehand, and then you go and have a great event. It's kind of it's kind of fun, particularly when it's over. So, Roy, um, one of the things that uh, I think people new to the profession find challenging is, and I saw this with some clients who went attended last year for the first time, and frankly, it happened to me in 2010 is um, just being overwhelmed by the size yeah. of the conference, the number of people, yeah. the number of tracks. If, if someone's going to be a first-timer or a newcomer, uh, how would you suggest that they kind of dip their toe in the water? Well, um, I think that uh, one of the things that they can can do is take take a – a whole bunch of time planning before they get there uh, to to um, make sure that they wind their way through these tracks. I think there's actually nine of them on Sunday, and then on Monday and Tuesday, there's closer. Now, there's about. There's about 12, I believe, with the advanced discussion groups. And 
and uh, just kind of wind their way through that uh, uh, properly. I would scope out the facility beforehand. I would go register the minute I get to the hotel. Uh, there are hours that it's open, so you got to be careful of that. But I, I, I wouldn't want to be in all these lines and and uh, whatnot and uh, try and get a lay of the land. But I'll tell you what we have that we're very fortunate uh, to have is Samantha Graves has done uh, an article on LinkedIn. Um, she's uh, We've taken her text about what newcomers should do and put it into a video. Uh, so if someone goes online and searches on Samantha Graves' uh, name and uh, SCCE, uh, they will find... Uh, this thing, and let me get. Um, um, maybe you know how to spell Samantha's name. Yep, I'll uh, actually uh, link to those in the show notes, Roy. That'd be great. It's G R E V E S, and uh, so uh, she has kind of a eight or nine point thing she does, both in writing, and we 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 got somebody to do a, a, a avatar kind of a. Um, uh, video. It's not her voice, but it's her material. And she talks about things like still bringing a business card or a bunch of them, because you really want to make that moment of sharing information as quick as possible. And although most of us will go back and then connect on LinkedIn or something is do that. She also says, get your LinkedIn profile up to date. If you don't have one, you ought to get it. Even if you're not into social media, um, and just some other simple tips that folks new to this would benefit from. So I would suggest going there and, uh, I, here's one other bizarre tip. The biggest thing I remember from walking into a large conference for the first time when I first got started in my career was this sense of, I don't know anybody, and a lot of these people know each other, and that's a little uncomfortable. One of the things that we try and do to help get conversations started is they, they get a tag called first-time attendee. It's a dark green, if I remember correctly, and, and people will on occasion kind of welcome you in by noticing that tag, glad to see you're here, how's it going? But another idea that we've done is Sunday night, we have what's called the tailgate uh, reception in which we're encouraging everyone to wear a jersey of any kind. And, uh, you know, it's a little awkward, I'm sure, for some. Some it's a lot of people don't don't do it, but a bunch of people will throw a jersey on over their shirt, and it is an amazing conversation starter. You see a jersey from a place you've lived or a team you root for, or more more enjoyably, an arch rival, and it is the easiest conversation starter there is. So the I know this is going to sound odd, but the number one thing I would do if I was going to this conference for the first time is I would bring a jersey, throw it on, go to that reception on Sunday night, 
and it's going to go from kind of awkward and new to more conversations than you can imagine. It just some reason people and their sports teams <laughs> uh, just love to talk. And so, uh, and, and frankly, you know, to, to Tom, the overwhelming other thing I can't do much about is if you sit in sessions for six, seven hours a day, your, your brain is going to be fried. And, and just from the, any, any amount of material for seven hours would be tough. Um, but particularly if you're looking at it and going, oh my gosh, this is stuff I'm not doing. Uh, I got to do all this stuff. It's overwhelming. Um, one of the nice things about the tailgate party is it encourages conversations that aren't compliance related, which is what people need at that moment. And, and one last thing, Tom, is I would say uh, to new folks, every one of us has walked in and felt overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that people are doing, but you're not yet. It isn't a question of whether you're doing everything. It is the, the question is, are you making progress? And, and everybody's making progress and they should relax a little bit. And what you take away from this isn't the fact that there's 20 things that you haven't done that people talked about, is which one of the 20 are you going to go back and start with? That's all you can do. And I would uh, encourage people to try to fight the tendency to feel overwhelmed by the amount of stuff they haven't quite got to yet. Everybody in that room has that had that experience or is having it at the same time as, as you are. And, um, there isn't a single person in, in, at this conference that doesn't get what you do. Enjoy that (laughs) there. You're going to go from an environment where a lot of people don't get what you do to three or four days of everybody getting what you do. And I would, I would lean that way as opposed to being overwhelmed. I'm with my people they get what I do. They understand the challenges I, I have. They can give me ideas. Things are going to get better. Uh, not overnight, but they're going to get better, and that's all you can ask for. So, Roy, one of the things that uh, I found interesting is the events that are really before and after uh, the main part of the conference. Obviously, after the conference, you have the uh, certification exam, but on the Sunday before the conference starts, there are some really deep dive, um, not seminars, but kind of three-hour breakout sessions. But there's also speed networking and speed mentoring. And I found those two events to actually be uh, incredibly useful for someone like myself who's been in the profession for quite some time and for you know maybe the the lesser experienced. Why don't you talk about how you yeah. came up with those and maybe how they've evolved? How, how I, I, I forgot to mention those. That's why I enjoy doing this with you, Tom, is you've, you, you, like few other people, understand what we're doing. Um, we work our tail off to try to help people connect. We feel that networking is as important as education. 
we want to help people get that phone number or two or five that people can call when they're in the midst of a little bit of chaos, when they need the advice most. And one of the things that we do of probably many, and I'm just not thinking of them all, if I could forget networking, uh, speed networking and speed mentoring, I, I've obviously forgotten other things, but uh, basically someone called us a few years ago or one of my staff found it is some entrepreneur said, look, I'm going to take this speed dating thing where people sit at a table for 20 minutes and meet somebody. And then over the course of an hour and a half, you meet like six people or whatever. And, and I'm going to apply it to uh, networking at a conference. So we hired the firm, the same guy's been doing it forever. He comes in, uh, 60 or 70 people will register, um, in the speed networking. It's basically all peers and you just, uh, uh meet five or six uh, people, uh, over uh, 20 minutes each exchange cards, information, get to know them. And then speed mentoring is even a smarter idea because basically we get the mentors and, and, and the mentees in the room and uh, they get to uh, meet each other. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I've been told for 21 years, we got to do some mentoring thing. And I've watched other associations do this. They will pair two people up quite often randomly, maybe with similar industries or some other determining factor. But the odds of those two people hitting it off for a five-year regular conversation experience are very slim because the real factor isn't what industry you're in or what level you're at, but really do you connect? Does the person who's mentoring connect with the person who's being mentored and vice versa? And you can't, the odds of getting it right by just throwing two people together is very slim. What's not slim is when you sit down, much like the speed networking, you do the speed mentoring, and you meet five or six possible mentors. Now, you, we don't sit down and talk about possible. We did, the people meet and talk. And one or two, maybe three of the people uh, uh, connect for a long-term relationship. But it, it's, it's just so much smarter than this. I've never seen anything else that worked. Usually two people are slapped together with not much thought. It doesn't work and people are dissatisfied. And, and uh, in this case, odds are one out of five or six you're going to connect with. And and talk to on a regular basis for years. And um, we have it at uh, a, a few of our national conferences. And uh, we have it every year at this conference. So some people will do it two or three times, end up meeting more like 10, 15 people. And um, the trick really isn't complicated. Is people just have to be able to connect personally or the thing just isn't going to work. So both these are great. Both are ways to meet more people. And uh, for those listening who uh, have been around a little longer, we're always looking for more mentors. So call the office or get online and 
figure out how to uh, uh, join the mentor group. Um, I get a lot of people asking me how they can help. You know, well, you want to help? This is one thing you could do is sign up to be a mentor. So that, that's, that stuff uh, before the conference is, is uh, really helpful. So Roy, let me uh, kind of flip it a little bit now to uh, the more um, pr- uh, practice compliance practitioner, the more senior, the more mature. Yeah. Someone in the, in the industry, five, 10 years, something like that. And, and they come with the goal of, I want to see what's new, what's innovative, what are, uh, who's got some innovations that I might be able to take back to my compliance program. It's been my observation that many of the vendors who attend and support the event will uh, actually announce innovations or or have innovations um, uh, to come out publicly to coincide around the S or the CEI. How would someone really utilize the vendor room if they're a, a more practi- a seasoned practitioner and looking for that from vendors? You know, um, there are a lot of associations who put the vendors at the back of the bus. We treat everybody equally. One of the problems that they cause when they treat vendors like subservient, you're lucky to be here, you got to give me money to be here, um, you know your place and all that. That's just, it, one of the most negative side effects of all that is they're basically telling everybody that these folks are lesser people. And it's just ridiculous. It's another constituency that's a part of every profession. And this constituency happens to have solutions to your problems. So uh, I would take some time at every conference to hit a couple of booths at every break, at every reception and everything. Maybe go through the list of vendors that are listed in the brochure and pick some out to target are the areas that you might have some upcoming need for. These people basically pool the money from dozens, if not hundreds of compliance professionals by charging the money, create something that all of them can use and it costs everybody one two hundredth of the cost if they were to do it themselves. I, I hope that makes sense. It's a little odd observation. But it, 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 they hire the best and brightest from our field. They have uh, experiences from multiple clients that they incorporate in their products or services so they're more aware of best practices than most people who don't travel every day, if you, if you know what I mean. So, sure. the, the, yeah, the, the vendors are such a great asset, and I am glad you asked. And quite often to begin the conference, I'll say, look, folks, you have an obligation to your organization to be aware of the tools that could help automate or make more effective things that you're going to do down the road. You have an obligation to your company who paid you to come here to go visit with these folks and be aware of the tools that are available to you. And I couldn't feel uh, more strongly about this. I just think that 
and, and most associations don't help. They put these folks at the back of the bus and treat them like second-class citizens, not in our organization. In fact, we're, we are also going to go beyond that to say uh, you really uh, owe it to yourself and your organization to be aware of what's available. So I'd like to end up with maybe your thoughts on this year's keynote speakers. Uh, as always, we have just a fabulous group of keynote speakers. We've got four. We've got Marjorie Doyle, who's going to talk about the life and ethics of a compliance professional. We've got Eugene Soltis, who's going to talk about his book, Inside the Mind of a White Collar Criminal. We have uh, Mark uh, Latterman, who's going to talk about... Um, I assume it's cybersecurity, as he's yes, a computer sir. forensic ex- expert. And then Liz Wiseman is going to talk to us about uh, leadership and multipliers, about how um, the best leaders really help an entire organization. I was wondering if you might just kind of give us a little snippet preview and if uh, uh, any of the topics are really exciting to you right now. Uh, what uh, What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm going to just run down a comment or two about each one of them. First of all, Marjorie Doyle has been in the compliance field uh, since DIRT. She she started at DuPont. She did a a short uh, couple of years at a a company called Betco, big international uh, oil and gas, I believe. Hope I got that right. Uh, She now does some independent consulting and primarily works with boards. But Mar- Marjorie teaches at our academies. We we try to make sure that at every academy, one of the general session speakers is a stone cold killer compliance professional who can relate to everybody in the room and speak about the profession, the role of the compliance office, the function of the compliance program, like. N- people who can't, who can't do it haven't done 15, 20 years in the business. And, and she also happens to be one of the most uplifting, positive people around. So where people might be feeling a little overwhelmed by all the information and all the things that everybody's telling them they should be doing, that they don't have the resources to get to everything, Marjorie somehow makes everybody feel better. Mark Lannerman happens to be a local uh, a, a guy here in Minnesota that I, I know pretty well. He is uh, an excellent speaker, very personable, uh, can connect with people, and has been, he's one of those guys who has been involved in some of the biggest cyber uh, uh, crime situations from the consulting help out after the disaster side. Uh, uh, it's, it's, he, he has had such great experience, he can't tell you about most of them. I mean, he might lessons learned, these sorts of things, but he can't mention them. He's really uh, a, a very experienced. And here's the key difference with Mark. Mark has been speaking and interacting with the compliance world for a long time. He gets everybody in the room and knows what they do. One of the problems we have as compliance professionals are now picking up responsibility more and more for uh, IT security, privacy, uh, and, and, and such, is that there's this world of brilliant minds in IT security, 
And there's a world of brilliant minds in compliance, but there aren't too many people that have spent enough time with both to speak as well as Mark. And so we're very excited about that. Sadly, his topic is very, very important. So there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Uh, of course, you know, no, not many people hear about because these things are just not discussed for obvious reasons. Eugene Soltis is really fascinating. He has done research, uh, unlike anybody else, into the mind of white-collar criminals. And what's fascinating about him, he's online. There's some videos of him talking. He's one of those people you get the impression right away doesn't have a dog in the fight. He's not there to prove that all people are bad, and he's not there to defend all people that did bad. This guy, in my opinion, is a, a stone-cold researcher in this subject area, and he talked to some people for years before uh, writing a book, I believe, on the topic or speaking. Now he's certainly speaking on it. Uh, guys like Bernie Madoff and many of the other most famous ones, I don't know how he did it, but he got access to so many of these people. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Most people that speak on this subject are out to prove that all leaders are bad or they're out to prove that um, the government is overreacting. And true to the compliance world that doesn't pick sides, just gathers all data, good and bad, and brings it forward to leadership so they can make a good decision, Eugene has pulled all the data he can find, and he just makes observations on the good and bad things he finds and uh, presents all the information without bias. And, and Liz is, uh, is just very good, best-selling author, an advisor to executives, and she's talking about leadership. And the reason why this is important is that <laughs> we, we have had a strange 20 years, depending on how you count how long compliance has been around. In the early days, people for compliance jobs weren't necessarily picked based on a lot of previous experience. It was their first compliance officer that didn't necessarily know who to get. They were also put in the organization somewhere down the ladder uh, far enough that they had a, diff a difficult time being effective. And now, since uh, Wells Fargo, Penn State, and a whole bunch of other players have proven, this role is so important that they want to tuck them up higher in the, in the organization, maybe at the C-suite level. Well, a whole lot of people with regulatory and ethics uh, and compliance experience who find the, themselves in these roles have a couple of challenges. One is they may not have had a ton of experience in leadership. They may not have had a ton of experience working with leadership. And so we want to help uh, the attendees study leadership a little bit more so that their interactions with the higher level folks in their organization, including the board, uh, is a little bit easier for him down the road. I, I think we got a, a great lineup. I'm 
couldn't be more biased. I drink all the Kool-Aid and, and such, but we, we try very hard to get diversity. In this case, uh, a, 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 a veteran in the compliance world, a, 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 a cybersecurity, white-collar criminal expert and, and a leadership expert, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think our committee picks more practical, substantive topics and the right people than, than anybody. These people are giving you some real down to earth, practical, common sense advice. They don't just come in and talk at 65,000 feet and say, everybody's bad and we all got to work harder at this. We already know that. What we want to know is how to do it. And these, these folks can help us with that. Well, Roy, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I have been visiting with Roy Snell, the CEO of the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, and we've been exploring the Society's uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute, which will be held in Las Vegas this year, October 15 to 18. Roy, as always, thanks. We're going to link to the registration uh, information for the conference and also uh, Samantha's article and video so people will have a chance to, to maybe take a little bit uh, longer look and hopefully they will join you and me. We have really just touched on many of the things that um, happen at the event uh, and it's it's a fabulous event and if you're in the compliance profession, this is the event for you in 2017. So Roy, with that, many thanks. Thank you, Tom. I enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Unfair and Unbalanced. I have linked in the show notes to registration information for this year's Society of Corporate and Compliance and Ethics, Compliance and Ethics Institute. If you haven't signed up, I would urge you to do so. It is truly one of the top compliance-related events of the year. Also, hotel rooms are running out fast, but there's still a few available at the Los Vegas Caesars Palace. This is Tom Foxy, and thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I hope you will join me for another podcast episode on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.